family has a story, and with each story, that story, as it's interacted with our life, actually shapes our life and then shapes the world we live in. And this is us, is all about finding, out, finding God within all of our relationships, uh, especially the relationships that matter to us most. Uh, family and friendships can sometimes be a little messy, uh, a little tough, uh, and they can also bring an unbelievable amount of joy. So as we start this series and start thinking about this is us, who we are, uh, we're looking for God to help us as we uh, look into uh, the wisdom of relationships. Now, if you're not a Christ follower or you're thinking about being a Christ follower, I'm going to say a statement that's a little bit bold is that we're going to say that the foundation for all of our relationships uh, can and ought to outflow from our relationship with God through Christ. And when that happens, it doesn't make all our relationships perfect, but it does give us a context for living out those relationships and practicing kindness and love and giving us um, some ideas, some concepts uh, to how to live in all of these relationships. And uh, if you're not convinced about your relationship with Christ or even if that's a possibility, I hope you sit with us, stay with us, and as we walk through this over the next few weeks, maybe you'll become a little bit more convinced. Now, as we look at society, and I'm not a guy who picks on society. I, I love the world we live in. I know there's the tough stuff that's going on, but there's also a lot of good things that go on. But as we look at our world, uh, we try to figure out what is guiding our world or who is guiding individuals. And as we think about that, uh, sometimes we look at our world, and our world mirrors what was going on uh, a thousand years ago, a couple thousand years ago, in the times of the judges in the Older Testament. And uh, this verse says this, In those days of the judges, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what seemed right in his own eyes. Now, on one level, we can say people are trying to make the best they can, and that's admirable. And then on another level, we say, wow, trying to do things that are right in your own eyes uh, often gets us into trouble. And so that's why we're coming back to that foundation, that basis that says a relationship with God through Christ helps us to figure out so we're not doing just what's right in our own eyes, but we're actually doing what is right in God's eyes, and we're living that out of our relationship. Now, as we uh, unpack this series, uh, you may be familiar with this uh, television series, uh, This Is Us. And This Is Us has won a lot of uh, awards and is, you know, this drama. And so I, I was thinking about this next series and relationships. And so I decided I would watch a couple of these episodes. And, and I have to tell you, watching these episodes, I walked away being exhausted. I mean, exhausted. I mean, there's one drama after another. I, I was tired. I was sad. I was riding the exercise bike, and I'm, I'm riding along and going, Oh, usually I want to get off this thing because I'm just tired of riding the bike, but I want to turn this off. I just, I just felt really low about all the complications and, and people trying to figure things out. And again, these people are not Christ followers necessarily, but they're trying to do the best they can. But at every turn, there seems to be just another crazy thing happening. And uh, so I thought I'd just give you a little clip, a little view of what goes on in this show. Um, sorry if you've never watched this show and it's been like on your list to do. And now I'm going to give you some spoiler alerts. Uh, this is earlier on, so you're going to see some things that have already transpired a few seasons ago. But just to, to get an idea of what is going on, the emotions, the drama, and all that goes on in This Is Us. Babies. 
They're excited to meet their father. I think maybe they got a good one. This Is Us has tugged at our heartstrings from the very start. This kick-started Kate's weight loss journey, but it's the sibling love that melted our hearts. Big three? Big three! Big three! Big, big three. three! The big three are as thick as thieves, but that wasn't always the case. And this moment between Randall and Kevin gave us all the feels. Still back there with those people. It's the first time in 36 years you've said the words, he's my brother. As for their parents, our dream couple. I'm gonna be 11 for you, baby. I'm gonna be a 12 for you from here out. But when we realized Jack and Rebecca weren't together anymore in the present and that Jack actually died, it broke our hearts and clearly broke Kevin too. Why? Because Jack is our favorite TV dad. Remember when he saved Thanksgiving? There's no Jack here, it's Pilgrim Rick. Or asked Doc to help Rebecca connect with baby Randall, or reminded adult Randall he wasn't a replacement baby. Stop. The moment I saw you, I knew you were my boy. That brings us to the most recent heartbreaking moment. Toby's fate is unknown, but what we can count on is This Is Us will keep us reaching for the tissues when it returns. Oh, and I'll tell you, Toby makes it, though. So sorry if you're going, oh, no, now I know. I just ruined the story, but Toby makes it. We can't end on such a bummer. But it, it's just one thing after another. You know, I long for the good old days when shows were like this. Good old days. 54 minutes, problem solved, world solved, no drama, just a bunch of explosions, duct tape fixes everything. Those were the days. But that's not the days we live in. Everything is much more complicated. And in real life, it's much more complicated. And This Is Us does reflect real world. All these kinds of things seem to be going on. And they're hard to take. Just a little recap um, of who these families are. This is Jack and Rebecca Pearson, they're the parents. Jack passes away early on, and they have to, you know, negotiate and live life without him. Uh, there's three children. There's Kate, you saw, who struggles with her weight and self-image because of that weight. There's Kevin, the handsome, uh, sometimes self-absorbed actor who's trying to make it big. And then there's Randall, the adopted son, uh, highly uh, dependable and responsible and uh, was adopted into the family uh, when he was just a baby. And uh, this just continues, just there's lots of drama going on from one thing to another. 
And uh, as we think about our life as Christ followers, we really get to get to this conclusion is who are we and how do we navigate and walk through uh, the world that we're, we're living in? Uh, it seems to be a dry and thirsty place, and it seems that uh, time after time we see what we think is an oasis, and it ends up just being a mirage. We get there, and we're just as thirsty and tired and empty as we started. And uh, David was experiencing this from the Older Testament, and, and this is what he writes in the beginning of a psalm. God, you are my God. I'm searching so hard to find you, body and soul. I thirst for you in this dry and weary land without water. And we're going to say that the water, and again, it might be a bold statement to some of you, but the water is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son. And we can start putting life together, and we can put life together pretty well. But when God is absent from our life, we're trying to do all this stuff, navigate all this stuff, and we find it lacking. We find ourselves coming up against the wall where God wants to be a part of our life. He wants to quench our thirst. He wants to satisfy us, feed us, guide us, and direct us as our Heavenly Father. And so, so this is kind of the, the tension that we live in. So when we start and we start thinking about this is us, who we are, and how do we hold on to our identity, um, how do we understand who we are, I think a good place to start is with the story of Daniel. Uh, he's in the Older Testament. He lived about 2,600 years ago. And uh, he is a guy who was in Jerusalem, was a part of the upper crust of the society. He was in the royalty to some degree, uh, you know, and uh, Jerusalem gets invaded by King Nebuchadnezzar and uh, gets taken over, wiped out, and he and a bunch of, a bunch of young men uh, get taken away to Babylon to kind of be incorporated to the system. There were probably hundreds, maybe even a thousand, and Daniel is one of these guys. But what's amazing about Daniel and his three friends, and we're not sure if he knew these three friends in Jerusalem and then went with them to, to um, Babylon or if he meets them when he gets there, but he and his three friends seem to know who they are. Uh, they can say, this is us. This is who we are. And they have some key things, some key concepts that just aren't in their head but are in their heart that make all the difference in them navigating this crazy world they find themselves in. So we're just going to jump through a couple verses here. You can get the idea of Daniel chapter 1, and I encourage you on your own to kind of follow through and read and see uh, what Daniel's all about. So first we start off with young men with any physical, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So these guys and a bunch of other ones are go to Babylon. They're supposed to learn the ways. It's going to be a three-year program. Uh, new language, new culture, new ways, and uh, there was a lot of... Uh, astronomy and all kinds of, there's a lot of uh, kind of like uh, cultish kinds of things going on, and they're having to be immersed in all this learning, all this kind of stuff, all this cultish stuff, and, and uh, they're, they're, they're being sucked into that, and these guys somehow are in that, getting the training, but they know who they are. They say, this is who we are. This is us. And they're able to survive that. Sometimes uh, we get a little nervous about what's going on in our school systems and all those kinds of things and what's going on in our world. Our world is, is nothing compared to what Daniel and his friends faced. Off the charts craziness. 
And yet somehow they know who they are. They say, this is us. And they're able to walk through that. And they're able to do the right things. Uh, moving on, we see this. We see the king assign them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah. And so here are these guys, and they're getting chosen. But Daniel and his friends resolved not to defile themselves or himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defy, defile himself this way. And th this is an amazing moment. Can you imagine maybe a hundred, maybe more, hundreds, and all of a sudden they're going through this, you know, rigmarole, what's going to happen, and there's Daniel and his friends, you know, raising their hand, hey, 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 uh, we, 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 don't, we don't want to do, do this. Uh, we know who we are, and doing that doesn't line up with our faith and who we are, and, and uh, the leaders there are saying, well, we're trying to reprogram you, basically, to, to get rid of that and to be Babylonian. But, but can, can, you, can, you, can you help us out with this? And, and it goes on, and they say, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Uh, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance to what you see. So we agreed to this and tested them for 10 days, and at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away the choice food and the wine, and they were to drink, to drink and gave them vegetables instead. The king talked with them. This is after this whole process. The king talks with them and finds none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians. Again, that's the kind of training they were getting, and enchanters in their kingdom. So this is pretty amazing. At least these four guys know who they are. They go into captivity. It wasn't a pleasant trip to Babylon. If you stood out probably got in big trouble, probably lost your life, and here are these four guys. So what did they know? What was a part of who they were so that as they navigated this world, and you know the rest of the story, uh, those guys, they do really well. They're able to live in that world, and we've talked about this a couple weeks ago when Rick was here, live in it but not be of it, and they walk this fine, fine line. And I think from this story, we can come up with at least five concepts, five ideas that they understood that gave them strength to live in that world so they could be who they are. This is us. So the first one is this, is everyone needs to know that they are valued. Everyone needs to know that they're valued. If you're an influencer of kids, you're a parent, you're a grandparent, uh, you know, aunt, uncle, teacher, just a neighbor, you have the potential to influence other people. You influence kids. And somehow these guys were influenced to know that their life actually mattered. What they did matter. They had value. Now, as we go through these five areas, some of us are, in a sense, let, late to the game. 
Some of us grew up in homes or have been, had jobs or, or have been beaten down, and, and we just we don't feel value. And that affects the way we interact with our world. So this is good for if you have kids that you're going to influence, but this is also good as adults. Some of us walk with limps because we've got this thing in the back of our mind that we actually don't count, that there's, we, we don't have any value. And so that's there. But somehow these young guys knew that their life counted, and they have a resolve. It matters. It matters whether we defile ourselves. It matters how we live. Uh, we value our lives, and that was, must have been taught with them somewhere along the line. So, you know, they might have been 16, might have been a little younger than that, might have been a little older than that. Somewhere in their upbringing, they discovered that they were valued. And you and I need to understand the same, and you and I need to project that to those in our influence. Sometimes you and I fight this. We don't feel valued or, or we haven't felt valued and we don't have a good self-worth. So when something comes up and we're questioned, we get defensive really easy because we feel like we've been defending ourselves our whole life. And it stinks to feel like you've been defending yourselves our whole life. But the truth is, the, the, the reality is, every person on the planet has value. God made you. You are made in the image of God. Even if you don't know him at this point, sometimes I like to think of someone maybe being a pre-Christian, a pre-Christ follower. They're trying to figure out what this means for them. But, but we all have value no matter who we are. And uh, we talked about this a little bit last week, get a little fun with this, when we were talking about technology, this idea that God has put us on a planet for a specific time, for a specific place. He appointed times in history in their boundaries of their lands. He, he picked where you and I would be, and that concept is throughout Scripture. So, again, each one of us has value. You're on the planet for a time like this. So no matter what somebody said to you, no matter how somebody said, beat you down, whatever, you have value. And uh, you've got to come to, you've got to actually own that. Uh, work through it. Stop walking with a limp that I don't have value. Now, obviously, we've met people that take that too far. They become overconfident. They become pride. We're not talking about that. But each person has value. And these guys knew what they did, how they did counted. It actually mattered. Paul writes about this to the Ephesians when he says, it is in Christ we find out who we are and why we are living. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had his designs on us for glorious living, part of an overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. So you have value, the kids in your life have value, and you and I need to figure out how to project that to them so they feel have self-worth, a realistic self-worth. And we need to also, if we are a little uneasy about that ourselves, we need to come to terms with that and see that we get our value and our definition and how we live our lives through our relationship with Christ. This is foundational. The next concept they obviously had is that they were loved. Everybody needs to know that they are loved. Uh, starting off with uh, their Heavenly Father, that God loves you. 
And sometimes in church world, we just let that roll off, and we know it, but we really don't know it. God actually loves you. Each one of us, God loves us unconditionally. It's not about you earning his love. It's about you celebrating his love, about you living in and through his love. But it's not you have to earn it to get it. Most of us in all of our relationships, in a sense, feel like we've had to earn our love. We have to meet these obligations, meet these criteria for somebody else to love us. And in most relationships, that's true. There's a line that you and I could cross. There's a line that I could cross, so I don't know if Cindy wouldn't love me anymore, but she definitely wouldn't want to be around me anymore. That, that can happen. But when it comes to our relationship with God, God loves us, and we need to own that celebrate that, and, uh, and, just, and just enjoy that. And these boys knew that. Even their names point to that. The last part of their name is God. It means something to do with God. And so as we look at these names, we see that Daniel, God is my judge. And at first you go, ooh, that's not a, that doesn't feel good to say, every time you say Daniel, God is my judge. Uh, well, that means that you need to live in light of God being aware of your life. And actually, we see Daniel living out his life. We, we see he realizes his life has value. God loves him, and he wants to live responsibly before God, and that's why he stands up. But it's also this idea is that God is the one who chooses. God is the one who decides. So Daniel was always remembering as life was unfolding, and it was super crazy that God is a part of this. God decides. You see, these names mean something. I know when I was growing up, and I, it dawned on me that my name was David, and there was a David in the Bible, and that meant beloved of God. That actually changed the way I read the stories about David. I felt a connection with him, like, like we're brothers. Well, no, you're not, David. You just happen to have the same name, but it just, made, it just connected with me. And I thank my parents for naming me a name like that because I actually think about that. I think about the, when I'm reading, I think about who he is and who I am and uh, where he messed off and got, off, got up off the rails, and I don't want to do that, and, but it, it, it helps me have that name. It, it helps me know those things, and these guys knew that they were loved by their parents, by their names. And Anaya meant uh, Yahweh has been gracious, and uh, that, that's kind of a crazy name because, uh, you know, here they are, captives in Babylon. They probably saw their parents lose their life. They probably saw a lot of uh, just disgusting things as they were being taken from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem's destroyed. But somehow he was to always remember that Yahweh God is gracious. And I could just imagine if that was my name, there'd be nice where I'm laying in bed and, or actually laying on the floor or on the ground, uh, you know, just in bad circumstances and be going, my name means God is gracious. I'm not getting this. My name is a joke because this isn't true. But then coming to terms with, wait a minute, God is gracious. Look at how he is showing up in my life. Michelle is who is like God. The idea of unbelievable. God is unbelievable. Who is like God? Why would God show up in my life? We sang a song that talked about who am I? This is unbelievable that God, the creator of all, cares about me as an individual. Just not the planet, just not a nation, just not a group of people. He actually cares about me. He knows me. Jesus tells that the, he numbers the hair on our head, meaning he knows us. 
He knows us well. So that is unbelievable. David, in some of his Psalms, writes about, uh, wow, how can this be? Why would God choose me to be king? Why would God choose there to be this destiny? And he doesn't understand all this, that the actual Savior, Jesus, would come from his lineage, that his kingdom, his rule would be forever, referring to Jesus someday. And who is like God? The parents loved him, and they, they, they got this idea. And then the last one is Yahweh has helped. They were still alive. They saw a lot of carnage. They saw a lot of disaster, but here they are alive, and they're thinking, God still loves me. So no matter who we are, we think about our value, and we think about love, we need to understand that God loves us, and we need to project that into the kids' lives that are in our lives, who we influence, so that they know that kids love them. That's why we do the things we do at church. We want to complement what parents are doing in their home life. We want to be the icing on the cake. You're teaching these things at home, and then we're reinforcing them at youth group, reinforcing them on Sunday mornings in Kids Zone, in Awana and other things, Vacation Bible School. We're reinforcing that so that they know that they're loved and valued. But then we need to slow down and reflect and say, how do I respond to the world? Do I respond to the world in a way that says, I don't really feel loved and I really don't feel valued? Because when you and I live out of those concepts, it, it affects the way we live. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's buying into a lie because God does love you and God does value you. I love Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In spite of ourselves, Christ dies for us. That is just unbelievable that God would give his perfect son, his sinless son, to pay the price for my disobedience, for my sin, for my selfishness. I, sometimes I can't get my mind around that. It's good that I can't get my mind around because it's just, wow, that is love. That Jesus stayed on that cross and died, that is love. And then the power that God raised him from the dead, promising us new life in Christ, promising us eternity, a future with him. John 3, 16 through 17 gets overused in some ways. Well, not really overused, but because we read it so much, we become so familiar with it, we mess the, miss the significance of the message. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed, but by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. I love that phrase, whole and lasting life. And many of our translations, lasting life is eternity. When you come into relationship with God through Christ, you're connected with God through Christ, and the Spirit joins your life and connects with your life, you have a lasting life. This life continues on into the next chapter with God. It's a lasting life. And your life starts to have the pieces put back together. It gets more whole as you and I do that. So as you think about who God is and you think about value, you think about love, Sometimes you and I confuse that with our upbringing, with our family. Again, our family informs the way we view our world. And, and we have to sometimes fight that, have to wrestle with that. None of us had perfect parents. None of us had perfect families. So we do pick up some little rough edges. We pick up some limping along the way. 
And so we have to kind of work through that. Some of us have to fight through that. But it reminds me of this uh, little guy trying to process through as he deals with his dad. Um, his dad, most of us would say, is a perfect dad. But uh, we will see what uh, Beaver has to deal with when he's getting, in a sense, in trouble. Something wrong, Dad? Yes, I'd say there was. Yes, Beaver, now you've had us all worried. Now, what on earth were you doing in Mrs. Rayburn's office? Well, most of the time, I was waiting for someone to come and get me out. Why, Beaver? Coming home in a fire engine. Everybody's gonna think this family's goofy. Wally, don't you have something to do? Nothing but my homework. Well, I suggest you go and do it. Uh, yes, sir. Well, Beaver, do you have something to say? Yes, sir. I'm hungry. Beaver, your mother asked you what you were doing in Mrs. Rayburn's office. Well, me and Larry are cleaning the blackboards for our teacher. When Larry said Mrs. Rayburn had a spanking machine, and Larry went home, and I went in to see it, and the janitor didn't see me, so he thought I was nobody, and he locked the door. I see. Beaver, you had no business being in Mrs. Rayburn's office, did you? No, sir. You upset and worried your mother, didn't you? Yes, sir. You cost the city a considerable sum of money. Did you even think about the danger to those men on the fire truck? No, sir. And you succeeded in making yourself a most conspicuous young man, didn't you? I guess so, sir. I'm sorry, Dad. Well, in the future, Beaver, think. Before you do something, it'll cause you all this trouble and embarrassment. Yes, sir. Come on, Beaver. I'll get you some. Wally, where's the beaver? Uh, he's, uh, in the park. Well, why didn't you bring him back with you? Uh, well, he, uh, uh, he couldn't come right now. He couldn't come? Why not? Well, uh, cause, uh, well, he, uh, cut his head in an iron fence. Good heavens! He what? Is he all right? Oh, yeah, yeah, he's alive and everything, but, boy, he's really stuck. Been there for about an hour. Why didn't he send someone to tell us? Because he was afraid to, Dad. Well, I kind of you hollering at him for being conspicuous last night. Oh? Yeah, I know. Well, he even said he'd rather starve to death than let you know what happened. Oh, Ward. Uh, let's just get him out of the fence first, June. Then you can all sit around and tell me how wrong I was. Come on, Ward. Well, I'm going with you. Just a second now. There you are, Sonny. Thanks a lot, Mr. Come on, Beaver. Uh, Thanks a lot. You're entirely welcome. Are you all right? Sure, Mom. Well, guess we better get on home, huh? Well, I'm sorry, Dad. Oh, no, Beaver, I'm sorry. Well, I should never say anything to you that would make you afraid to come to me when you're in trouble. Gee, Dad, you mean you don't mind me getting in messes like this? Well, I don't want you getting into trouble. But when you do, I want you to feel your parents are the first ones to come to. That's right, Beaver. Gee, that's neat. Because when I'm growing up, we'll probably be using you for a lot of stuff like this. <laughs> Not to be too heavy, but how many of our kids would feel like Beaver? that they wouldn't want to come to us when they mess up, when they're afraid of us. 
Uh, not a good place to be. Ward sets it right. Ward says, you know, the first place I want you to be able to come to is us, your mom and dad, when we get into trouble. I don't want you to think you've got to carry this on your own. And so as parents is, uh, or just influencers in kids' lives, do the kids in our lives feel comfortable enough to come to us when they've messed up? Or are they so fearful they, they wouldn't come to us? Reminds me of the uh, prodigal son, and we're just going to read one verse from that story in Luke chapter 15. So the son left and went to his father after messing up royally. While his son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt sorry for his son. So his father ran to him and hugged and kissed him. I want to be that kind of dad. No matter what my kids get involved with, I want them to feel like they can come to me for help and to sort things out. And we're going to say that we have a Heavenly Father that is just like that. Our Heavenly Father is this Father here. He actually sees us and is running to us as we are running to Him. Every once in a while, I come in contact with somebody who uh, is interested in spiritual things or, or maybe, uh, you know, at one time was engaged in their faith and they've pulled back and they talk to me and they say, you know, I can't come to church because I just feel so guilty, so wrong, so bad, so whatever. And I try to explain to them, your heavenly father, he may not be excited about what you've got yourself involved with, but he loves you desperately. He doesn't want to keep you at arm's length. He wants to embrace you. He wants to hug you. He wants to hold on to you. So don't let that thought keep you away because God values you and God loves you absolutely. Another thing that these guys uh, must have known was this. Everyone needs to know that their friends will influence their lives. I'm just going to touch on this. We got into this in depth a couple weeks ago when we talked about community, but this idea that uh, friends will influence our lives. We ought to have friends around that influence us in a right direction, in a good direction, in a healthy direction. Now, that doesn't mean we write everybody else off, because there will be some folks that, you know, are kind of going another way. That doesn't mean we don't become friends with them, that we don't, don't engage with them. It means that we don't live in a holy bubble. Uh, it means that we realize when we're being influenced rather than being an influencer. Remember explaining to the girls when we were trying to negotiate all this, navigate all this when they were getting into their later teen years, I said, you know, you can be a part of those groups. You can hang out with those groups. But the thing you need to realize is when are they influencing you rather than you being an influence where they are? And the tipping point you know, you've got to be sensitive. That's why I came back with this whole idea. You need God a part of your life. God, the Spirit, needs to help you decide where that tipping point is. It's different for different people. But you need to really drive this home with those in your life, and you need to own it yourself that friends will influence me. And I need to understand that. And somehow these four guys from Jerusalem knew this. Again, we don't know if they knew each other when they left or whatever, but they were hanging together because they knew they needed people to influence them in the right direction. 
They needed that strength that came from other people who were trying to, in this sense, honor God. So they give this test. Uh, the four guys do it together. I'm sure there were moments where, you know, at least in their heads, they thought about, eh, this is kind of crazy. Why are we even doing this? Look at, you know, look at those other guys. They're, they're just kind of going through the thing. They're not, they're not holding up. They're not, they're not stopping. But they had this group that helped them. So we need our kids to know this, and then we as adults need to live this. We need to be transparent. We need to model what we want others to see in our life, or at least we need to model what we want others to adopt in their life. A lot of times, some of us have had some people that have proclaimed certain ways to live, but then when we have a little bit of a glimpse into their life, we see that they're not living it that way, not in a judgmental way. We see that they're not living it that way, and it upsets us. It causes us to go, ooh, I'm throwing that out because they're not doing it. So the idea of who influences us and how that works. Last week, we looked at this. It's in your notes, uh, Proverbs 13, 20. The walk, walk, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. Just that idea of, again, who we run with and who we tell our kids to run with, that we have the ability to influence. And again, it's hard. It's risky. You're, you're saying, don't be in a holy bubble. You're saying, be an influencer, but watch out that you're not influencing. And that takes lots of conversations. We talked about that last week. Lots of conversations when we're talking about technology. It's just not one conversation. Here are the rules. End of story. It's a conversation that keeps on going. The negative side is this. Uh, Paul writes, don't be teamed up with those who don't love the Lord. Stop forming inappropriate relationships with unbelievers. And again, that's not having relationships, having connections. It's having their ideas of life influence your ideas in life. It needs to be the other way around. And so it's hard. Another uh, just idea that these four boys knew is that they knew that work was good. They applied themselves. They engaged in life. I mean, it was not easy going from Jerusalem to Babylon. They had to learn the culture, the language, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they applied themselves. These four young men gave God knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. God worked, but they also worked too. And so we need to project. We need to own. If we want to be able to know who we are, we need to apply ourselves. And then the, the kids in our lives need to see that and be influenced that and know that work is good. It's actually a great thing to put your head on the pillow and be tired. Not exhausted, but tired. When you're ready to go to sleep, you should say, my body is ready to go to sleep. My mind is ready to go to sleep because I've been at it all day. We're ready to go to bed, and we're like, bing, and it's, it's not because we're stressed. It's just because we have all this energy. It, it means something about our work day, to work hard. Paul writes this. He said, when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Whoever will not work should not be allowed to eat. We hear that some people in your group refuse to work. They're doing nothing except being busy in the lives of others. Our instruction is to them is to stop bothering others, to start working and earn their own food. It is by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are urging them to do this. This doesn't mean someone who's lost a job and struggling trying to find a job. This doesn't mean someone who's sick. 
This doesn't mean those things. But if you and I can work, we ought to work. We ought to use this life and engage. These four guys knew that and applied themselves. Another verse we're familiar with that is not in your notes is this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Our work is a way to point to God, to show his importance. The integrity we bring to work, the, the work ethic we bring, all of that points to him, and we do it to the glory of God. We show that God is important in our life by the way we work. These four boys knew that, even though they were working and learning in a very adverse situation. We also need to realize that everyone needs to know that their steps will take them somewhere. We, we play this game that we think if we're walking in this direction, we're not going to get there. But we are. If we're walking in this direction, eventually we're going to get there. If we're walking in that direction, we're going to get there. But often we, we play this game thinking that, you know, when it comes to our, our finances, the way we live, that uh, the way we spend our money, that uh, we're going to get to some other place than we're actually really going. If every year we spend more money than we earn, eventually there's a wall that we're going to hit. Uh, if we don't save our money, there's a wall we're going to hit. Uh, whatever, whatever area that is, the step we travel in, um, if we uh, don't take care of our health, eventually we hit a wall. We're walking in that direction. We're going to get to that direction. Uh, if we don't build into other people's lives and we just kind of live to ourselves, eventually there'll be a day where we wish that we had friendships, we wish we had relationships, and it comes like a big surprise, but it shouldn't because we walked in that direction. These four boys knew what direction to take, what steps to take, and they walked in that direction and got to enjoy the results. They get interviewed by the king, and the king says there was no match for them. They were unbelievable. They were off the charts. Why? Because they studied and learned what they needed to learn. They walked in a direction, and they knew it was going to take them someplace. And so they just knew that. They celebrated that, and that was just uh, was fantastic that that's how things uh, worked out. They continued to walk in that direction. And at the end of the time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief officials presented them Nebuchadnezzar, and everything was great. They were like, these guys are unbelievable. So as you and I think about our life, as we think about this is us, we look at these four, these, yeah, these four <laughs> guys, and we see the things that were part of their lives, we ought to have them a part of our lives. Because when we don't have them a part of our lives, we walk with a limp. When we don't project them to the children in our lives, we're passing that walking with a limp off to the next generation. You see, everybody needs to know that this is us is with Jesus. This is us with Jesus. That's how we do it. That's how we live our lives. And when these five areas start showing up in our lives more and more and more, we find that we know who we are and we have the stamina, the resolve, the strength to live the life that this crazy world seems to be throwing our way. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the story of Daniel. We thank you for these four young men 
who uh, know that they're loved by you and valued by you, and uh, they, it just shows up in the way they interact with their world. Father, we just ask that we as adults would come to terms with that, that we would know who we are in you. If there's someone here who has not placed their trust in you, has not uh, chosen to follow you, to say yes to you, we pray that even in this moment, they would come to terms with that and place their trust in you and say, I want to follow you the best way I know how. For those of us who have, help us to see the places where we walk with a limp where we need to understand these things and so that not only it affects our life, but it affects the children we influence with our life. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name.